I'll take a few of these questions. Um, okay. So, I'd like to speak up to conclude. I've got a half an hour here, and I'll, then I'll answer a few questions. Uh, if I finish before the half an hour, that's great too. Qualities or characteristics of being a leader. I would say the first quality we should talk about is humility. Humility. Now, a leader who's truly a leader will bring out the best in others, help them flourish, I said, use their authority to help them flourish, help them perhaps get involved in the parish. Maybe you as a leader will be a facilitator of other leaders, getting them involved, helping them learn how to prune all the million things they have going on and to make some contribution to the parish. But a humble leader always points beyond herself, beyond himself. There should be a humility about you that you're never pointing to yourself ultimately. This is about my project or my wisdom or my organizational skills. There should be something always John the Baptist-like in me. John the Baptist always points beyond himself. There's the Lamb of God. Hmm? He doesn't point at himself. He always points beyond himself. So that kind of humility... You're always pointing beyond to Christ. So when things go well, you praise the Lord for them going well. And you get compliments on your ministry. You praise the Lord for that. And you accept the compliments and you thank, thank the person honestly. You don't say, oh, now you're just being nice. You, know? you accept the compliments and you thank the Lord that he used you. Huh? That he used you for that situation. And you continually be amazed at how much he uses you <laughs> for the situation and you give thanks to God. So it's not a false humility of, oh, no, no, really. Uh, but it's a true humility of, yes, I did feel the Lord inspiring me there. That was, I'm amazed how that worked out so well because I know I'm a mess. <laughs> but the Lord's awesome and he does a lot with this messiness. And so thank you for that. Another way of saying humility is recognize your double origin. So you and I have a double origin. It starts in Genesis. God takes clay from the ground, huh? dust to the ground, and, and forms it into something that's humus. The ground in earth in Latin is humus, from which we get the word humility. So I recognize my origin in the ground. But then he breathes into us a life-giving spirit. Right? So we have a double origin. He breathes into us his life-giving spirit. And he gives us a task. He takes Adam and Eve, creates them both together, and gives them a task, which is to take care of the garden. And people have a task to take care of their parish and have some investment. That means more than breaking out my wallet once a week. But how are we called to support this parish? As we go through more and more of a priest shortage for lack of responses to... God's call, I don't think the calls are lacking from God's part, but I think our responses certainly are. Uh, Y'all are going to have to, lay people are going to be the key. Priests are going to, we're going to have to focus on the sacraments because that's the one thing we can do you and are needed for, absolutely. And lay people will have to more and more administer the parishes. So, taking ownership 
for the parish, uh, recognizing my double origin, that I'm called for a task. My double origin, again, I'm, I'm humble. I know what a messy guy I am and how much I need to have my feet washed, like Peter had his feet washed. Uh, regularly, Jesus says, that's what you need to do. I was reflecting when we were in adoration how much Jesus loves to wash our feet. And it's like my mother used to love to give my little sisters, I have three little sisters, a bath in the, in the um, wash basin, in the sink of the kitchen, because they're that small. You know when their babies are that tiny? So cute. Um, and so she loved to give them a bath. And so you and I should regularly allow that to happen because Jesus loves to wash our feet, which is confession. Some people say, well, how often should I go to confession? Well, how often do you take a shower? Once a day? All right. To my way of thinking, it's a one-to-one option. If you take a shower once a day, you should go to confession probably once a month. If you take a shower every other day, I suggest every two months. If you take a shower every 12 days, I suggest wait for a year for a confession. <laughs> now, if you take a shower every 12 days, you might want to rethink that. Even if you don't, you're like, I'm not getting sick, I can handle this. Just for the sake of other people around you, you might think of getting less than 12 days. And taking a shower in between for the sake of others. The same thing with confession, huh? I get caught up in my ways of thinking. But I haven't done anything. I'm not, I don't have gangrene on my body. I don't need to take a shower. Uh, I know you don't have gangrene, but it might be nice that you just kept it clean for everyone, huh? Uh, and in my life, the, the less regularly I go to confession, the longer I wait, the less I have to confess. Why is that? Because I'm falling out of love. The more I fall in love, the more I recognize the things that militate against love. If I were married and I have a spouse, and I'm like, well, honey, I'm not going to hurt you or slap you or anything. I will make comments a bit, little bit about you and you know, little jabs here and there. I'm okay with that. But I won't do anything serious against you. I promise to be faithful and never commit adultery. It's like, what? What kind of love is that? Huh? I'll do the bare minimum to stay away from mortal sin. Like, no. The more I fall in love, the more... I don't want anything to get in between her and I. I want, I, I'm more sensitive to love. So I, I love to go to confession regularly because it cleans off that dust off my feet. That's what Jesus loves to do. And if he loves to do it, I think I'm going to let him do it. Because it makes him happy. And he's really good at it. So, Confession. Uh, that's to me recognizing my humility. The Catholic Church, okay, another good story. So there's a man walks in, comes up to this priest and says, Father, he says, I find you Catholics hypocritical. You don't live everything you believe. And the priest thinks, and he says, you know what? You're right. Come join us, you'll fit right in. <laughs> and what the priest is saying there is that Catholicism provides a remedy for hypocrisy. Catholicism provides a remedy for hypocrisy. And the remedy is authenticity. Where I'm truly myself. We are the one faith that gives you the most authentic moment of your life 
when I come forth and I say, I've done this, this, and this, and I haven't done that and that and that that I should have. Confession. True authenticity. No holes barred. No Facebooking, you know. Here's what I want you to see about myself. How cool Father Anthony is and all the neat things and all the places I've gone. Facebook. I have a Facebook account myself. I don't use it much, but, but uh, I'm not against Facebook as such. But there's a, such a thing called Facebooking. I put it as a verb, you know, where I want, I'll show you what I want you to see of myself and all my fun life and how cool things are going and what amazing relationships I have. And look at all my friends. Oh my gosh, I'm so doing so well. Look at all the likes I'm getting. Uh, and, and it's kind of a faux imitation uh, reality of what friendship is. And that's a whole other issue with our children getting so caught up in the likes and trying to get more likes off of their posts that they have good days and bad days according to the number of likes. More suicides even for those who aren't getting enough likes. I mean, it's a terrible thing. So humility, huh? Recognizing my double origin, my need for authenticity, uh, my need for the Lord. And if he likes to wash my feet, I'm going to let him wash my feet and come clean regularly and often with the Lord. And each time I come clean, I not only get cleaned in confession, I'm given new strength. I, I can feel even when I need to go to confession. I feel the spirit, the wrong spirits working on me, having a little bit of a toehold in my way of looking at people or thinking about people or acting. And so I know I need to get cleaned up. There's a mini exorcism, if you will, that goes on in every confession. Find a priest and go regularly. Being a leader is a leader in humility, I say. Um, oh, here's a good story about humility. So this little girl's in the fishing with her dad and she says, Daddy, she says, uh, where does all this water come from? And the father says, oh, sweetie, I, I, I don't rightly know. And then later she says, Daddy, how about all the fish? Where do the fish come from? And her father says, uh, Sweetie, I, I, I don't really know where they come from either. And then a little later she says, Daddy, what keeps this boat afloat? How does it float? Well, Sweetie, I, I'm not really, really sure how, that, how it floats. Daddy, am I annoying you with all my questions? Why, no, Sweetie. If you don't ask questions, how are you going to learn anything? Uh, all right. Being a leader, humility, forgiveness. We have to be a leader in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a duty. Forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a gift of God. People thump it over other people's heads as a duty. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. I say, I don't think you can forgive. That's where I'm at. I don't think you and I have the ability to forgive each other. I think it's a God-given gift. And our only duty is to get down on our knees and beg God for a new view of this person to let go and even forget what happened to me and to pray with him on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Immaculate Ilibagiza is the Rwandan refugee. I'm, her cousin is a friend of mine. He's a Rwandan Jesuit. So I got to know her when I was back on the West Coast. 
But in that, when you read her story, left to tell during the Holocaust, during the genocide of the Tutsis and Hutus and whatnot, um, when her family was massacred by Machete, she's living in this tiny bathroom. I think it was about ten women, and went to Skin and Bones, and she was thinking so much about how she was going to, once she got out of there, she was going to kill these people who had killed her family. And she said, I was dying from this hatred that was burning within me. And it wasn't until she had an experience of Christ on the cross saying the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it was that that gave her the grace to look at the, in this case, the Hutus who had killed her family they father forgive them they know not what they do they are clueless what they do is totally wrong but i surrender that to you and i surrender them to you those who've killed my family and hurt me you and i need to practice this you you deal with them lord you rip out of their heart everything that's twisted and save the rest saint thomas aquinas says love is choosing the good of the other well the, the best good for the other is that they go to heaven so when i have someone who really hurts me Let's say rejected love. There's nothing more painful than rejected love, right? You and I, that's the worst experience for us. But when I feel rejected in my love, I need to lift up that person, John or Sally or whoever. Huh? Lord, you deal with them. I can't think about them anymore. It hurts too much. You deal with them. Use your scalpel, whatever you need. Get rid of in their heart everything that's twisted and save the rest. But I have to keep walking forward. And I can't be thinking about them. Nor can I even be praying about them a lot. I'm going to get other people to pray for them. But I need to walk forward and not live in the past. Forgiveness is a gift from God. You and I don't have it. I don't think. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. I just don't. I think it's beyond human. I think it's a supernatural gift. And it's the gift that God most wants to give us. He says to St. Faustina Kowalska. It's his most... It's his greatest attribute, he says. It's his mercy. And he loves to feel the flames of that mercy flowing out of his heart. Oh. But he says, not enough people ask for the flames of my mercy. They're like burning up my heart because not enough people ask for them. And they're still, uh, you know, drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. You know? And Immaculate Libagiza said, I was dying. I was almost on death's door before I had this prayer experience. And then I finally let go and my body became better. There's no doubt any, if any of you are doctors, physiologically, if I'm under a lot of stress, I'm going to start having body problems. If I'm under a lot of, if there's a lot of hatred in my life and woundedness, and I think a lot about the abuse that I went through, I'm going to start having body problems. Surrender. Letting go. Forgiveness. It's a gift. Seeing my wounds within the wounds of Christ. What happened to me caused Christ hurt. Christ hurts with us a lot more than we think. I don't like how often we talk about Christ and kind of like, he's probably smugly up there saying, hey, it's not that bad. It's all going to work out. It's going to be fine. It's like, I don't think Christ is like that. I think Christ suffers with us for his body that's lacerated. And when you've been falsely treated, falsely accused, looked at askance, poked in the back, I don't care, looked over, rejected, underemployed, taken advantage of, taken for granted. Christ hurts with you. You're not bearing that suffering alone. I think one of the greater ruses of the evil spirit is that you're alone. You're carrying that cross alone. 
Teresa of Lisieux would say, I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. She knew with whom she was carrying that cross. We're called the carrier cross with Christ. So if I struggle with, with um, lack of forgiveness, I'm not spending enough time in front of God, in front of the crucified Christ, and learning how he processes the terrible things that are happening to him. And yet the seven last words of Jesus are all words of love. Well, people are trying to spit at him, trying to spit into his wounds, making fun of him. So you're suffering with Christ. Suffering born in love is redemptive. Blessed are you to help redeem the world if you choose to do so. Being a leader in humility, being a leader in forgiveness, giving up control. Control is probably not an issue for us, so I'll skip over that one. story of a rabbi and a priest. They're fishing together. And they put this sign behind them next to the road. And, and the, the sign says, turn around, the end is near. And this atheist comes flying by and screeches to a halt, backs up and says, stop preaching to me, you religious nuts. And he takes off. And it's not, but 60 seconds later, they hear screeching again and splash, car into the water. And the priest turns to the rabbi and said, Maybe we should have put out a bridge out ahead instead of turn around, the end is near. <laughs> that controlling attitude of don't tell me what to do. Control is an effort at grasping for security, but not godly security. There's so many ways that I try to get others to see things as I do ways that I talk or act trying to get trying to get my way whereas Mary offers us Marian hands in other words she proposes she invites she doesn't cling to what she thinks she's supposed to do and use that a little bit as a club and this is my work I don't want any other people involved in this this is my way of working for the parish and I, I have no intention of passing this on to anybody because I'm good at this and it's affirming to me. And besides, this is about me anyway. Let's be honest. Huh? That she would let it go if it really brings out the best in someone and she'd look for another ministry. Hmm? She would facilitate others in finding the Lord. I suggest you imitate St. Martha. Remember the story of Martha and Mary. Martha is very busy doing the works, getting the dinner ready. St. Therese says, Our Lord does not find fault with Martha for the tasks she is doing. His mother, Mary, performed those tasks all the time in the Holy Family. But he finds fault with the restless anxiety with which she performs the tasks. She has a nervous anxiety. We've got to get this done. There's the food's not on the table yet. Huh? And she's not doing it in a prayerful way. It's a nervous Nelly way of acting. And Mary instead puts God first, the contemplative life, her prayer life, 
so that when she does help Martha, she's doing it from a peaceful spirit, a detached, if you will, spirit. That this will work out. God will bless it in its time. But Martha does become a saint, and sometimes we don't think about that enough. We critique her and kind of let her go. But she becomes Saint Martha. We do have a Saint Martha in the church. So she begins to do those same duties, but with a different spirit, a Marian spirit, like her sister. Which is a, it's like a peaceful way of going about doing your parish ministry. As opposed to, I hope this will work, I hope this will work, I hope we get enough volunteers. Like, ah, uh, we'll deal. Well, we'll try it, we'll do what we can to set up a nice booth and hopefully we'll get volunteers. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. We'll, we'll deal with that. Maybe we'll try a different angle next time. Giving up control. Sometimes I get it, I fall in love with the way I think things should be and I'm really upset with the pastor because it didn't work out or something. Or with the person who kind of, I feel like they undercut me. So I'm, in so, I'm so in love with how I expected this to go that I'm really frustrated. And the problem is I'm in love with my expectation. Sometimes the person I get most frustrated with is the one you're looking at. That's not good. That's a sign of pride. In other words, if I have an image of myself, I can't believe that I, Father Anthony, did that or didn't do that. Then that means I'm in love with an image of myself and I'm not letting God love me in my messiness. That's how God loves me. And so I need to let myself be loved in my messiness to be loved out of that messiness. To be loved in my hellishness, to be loved out of that. To let God love the hell out of me, so to speak. That's how he loves you and me, is in our messiness. So I need to let myself be loved in my messiness and be loved out of that. As opposed to this image of what I think I should be like and never late and always whatever, fill in the blank. Never forgetful. The other option for me is laughing. So when I do have to go purchase something, uh, whatever it is, or I go to the store, I've done this before, and then it's time to check out, and I'm like, oh, I don't have my wallet. I have two major choices now. <laughs> Stupid idiot. Or laugh. Do the laughter. Okay? That's the best medicine. Laugh at yourself. That's so crazy. You know, Have some fun with yourself. We take ourselves too seriously. So yes, I have to do this extra trip now. I just wasted time, whatnot. But we are characters. I mean, I think God has to have a huge sense of humor. Look at us. <laughs> a leader is childlike. Jesus says that unless you become like this child you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he says, unless you become like this child, he's really pointing at himself. He is this child, the child before the father. He doesn't do anything without the father. He loves to just point at the father. He uses love language. The father is greater than I. That's like saying, that's my better half. Everything he does is for the father. He's in love with the Father. He's a child before the Father, always playing before the Father, knowing that the Father's got this. You and I as leaders have to have that childlike attitude of, my daddy's got this. He's the man. Hmm. Daddy's got this. 
And so I'm, I'm just doing his work. And I'm not judging the success of it. I'm not in love with the results. I could give it up if the Lord asked me. I keep my hands open on all the ministries I have in my life. And if one of those is taken off of my hands and something else put on there, I'm okay with that. I want to be childlike. A child knows that she or he is needy and needs relationship and is dependent radically upon his parents or her parents. And so they don't fear dependence. You and I often fear dependence. And so the Lord wisely, to train us in relying on others, starts us off in diapers. And we need parents to keep changing our diapers. And guess how we end up? (laughs) Diapers. Diapers. I don't want to be in diapers. I don't want anybody cleaning me. Thank you very much. Get used to it. That's a good challenge for us because independence at all costs. I don't want to be a trouble to anybody. No, really. Really, really. I don't want to put anybody out. And that's what I cling to. That's my inordinate attachment. I, I could never allow someone to really have to take care of me. I'm a pretty independent guy and I don't want anybody to have anything extra on their plate. So, no diapers for me. Little children have, little infants have three reasons, three principal reasons why they cry. And you all know this. They're either tired or they need a diaper change or they're hungry. Unless you become like children, Jesus says, and tap into those three. Those three things don't change, by the way. That's how infants are, and that's how you and I are. You need to know when you're tired, and you need contemplative prayer. You need to rest in God. You need to soak up God's presence and place yourself there and let God love me. It's not so much me adoring God, probably as much as God loving me and strengthening me with his gaze of love. I'm tired as a child. I tap into that tiredness and I come to the Lord in my tiredness and he refreshes me. Diaper change. You've got to know when you need a diaper change. And you go to confession. That's what it, that's what it is. It's a diaper change. I have to go a lot. And when are you hungry? Eucharist. As a child, know that, that need. Keep, keep building that thirst for Jesus. You can't get enough of Jesus. And you keep wanting to re-enter into that sacred heart for nourishment, strength, renewal. The sacraments and prayer. Those are the source of your confidence. Those are the source of your strength. Those are the source of your ability to lead others to Christ. You know when you need the diaper change. You know when you're hungry. You need the Eucharist. You know when you need contemplative prayer and you're unavailable to anybody else. Your phones go off because you're resting in the Lord. As Catholics, last thought, um, 
we have to train ourselves anew in the notion of the faith. My little sister, when she was just a little girl, she had this wonderful insight. She said, she would write a little note when she'd write to us, um, don't keep the faith, spread it. (laughs) And we Catholics have to learn how to spread the faith and share our faith. And we've got to get over that. We have to agere contra, to act against that tendency of, I'm Catholic. I mean, I'm living it here. It's me and Jesus. We're pretty good. I I don't want to draw attention to myself, so I don't think we're going to talk so much about it. Let's talk about the weather and sports, you know, uh, or something, politics or something. I don't really want to talk about my faith convictions. We've got to get over that as leaders and be a model to help others share their faith. We need, we have to, we're desperate for that the world is desperate for us to give witness of why we believe what we believe. We've got to learn to share our faith. Start challenging yourself to share your faith. If I walked into your home, it should be evident to me it's a Catholic home. I don't mean huge statues of everything all over the place. If I walked into your work, workplace, it should be evident as I look a little more carefully, this is a Catholic woman. She's a, he's a Catholic man. And then an occasional conversation around the coffee mug, coffee urn, whatever. There's Catholicism in your life because that's how you found Christ. And that's the charisma. That's what you're sharing with people. It's how you found life and love. The greatest thing you have going on for you right now as future leaders, burgeoning leaders in the church, is that the thirst is already out there. The Holy Spirit has already set up the thirst in all these good people and you're going to minister to them. The Holy Spirit has already given the thirst, though. You don't have to even, like, work up thirst. People just need to have the, the scum pushed away off, uh, skinned off, and then this fresh water begins to flow again. It's an image from Origin, actually, that our, our wells are like, we've, we've put junk in there and sin and whatnot, selfishness, but once cleaned those wells begin to bring forth living water again. And everyone has that well of bringing forth living water, as Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. You and I are that Samaritan woman. We need to get to know Christ, confess our sins to Christ, and we become great apostles. That woman is something else. That's you. That's me. She never would have guessed it. She was living kind of like this. That's why she went at noon, you know, Worst time of the day, it's hottest. And now she comes back into town and says, come meet the guy who told me everything I ever did. And they're like, whoa, you've changed. <laughs> and so they come out to meet Jesus. All right, questions. Men's groups. Um, so a couple of men's groups that are really excellent are That Man Is You. We don't have that in St. Louis. And uh, Men of St. Joseph is another awesome possibility. I don't know how many men's groups are in St. Louis, so I certainly do not offer a critique, but I was surprised at least that that man is you is not here. That's already a program. Oh, is it? Oh, really? Oh, good. My apologies. I looked it up. Okay, great. That man is you is here. Good. Uh, Men of St. Joseph is another wonderful option. Um weekly meetings, uh, all focused on the gospel. It teaches men how to, that they have an ability to break open the gospel and they can build on each other's insights. 
There's a, there's a women's group I helped start called Daughters of Mary, similar to that. Uh, that's an excellent group also. So there are many wonderful options. Um, and it doesn't have to be, there's not one size fits all. I certainly would never want to imply that. Uh, the obstacles to the faith life overcommitment, uh, the first one I said was the inordinate attachments. The I cling to certain things for my security. I don't know myself. Um, and certain things of my own or I'm kind of um, casting aspersions that I get caught up in the, the tensions of society and I don't follow Jesus enough. Uh, so I'm, I make caricatures of others and I don't um, live that freedom. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I... Uh, fear also is fear of putting out into the deep. You know, because I'm not sure, I'm not comfortable with the deep. I'm not sure what the Lord's going to ask, where this is going to end. Um, but for some reason, I think the overcommitment really spoke to you all. The thing about pruning and the need to prune for health. recommended readings uh, Peggy Charles Peggy wrote a book uh, if you need to, we need to focus on hope it's the missing virtue today the portal of the mystery of hope I, w- I wanted to read you a quote from that but I think there's not enough time and uh, sister Ruth Burroughs has some wonderful stuff she's a Carmelite in England um, to believe in Jesus the essence of prayer two different books to believe in Jesus I would start with she really has her finger on what's going on spirituality today. Um, Five Love Languages of Gary Chapman, very helpful for speaking the other's love language. Um, I haven't done, I should have considered a little more uh, books on leadership, but I'll let Sister and Judy make suggestions perhaps on that um, another time. I think that's all the questions I got. So so we are going to go to a time of prayer and you're kind of processing where you at in terms of humility, forgiveness, control, childlikeness. Humility, forgiveness, control, and childlikeness. Those are your calls, and that will kind of facilitate, it will strengthen you for this beautiful life the Lord has ahead of you. Uh, and you're given this green sheet with a couple lovely quotes, John 13 and Mark 10, about living humility, forgiveness, con- uh, entrustment instead of control, and childlikeness. So this is in your folder. It's a green sheet, light green, pretty pea green, is that what that is? So this is just to help facilitate your prayer and to keep rooting you in scripture. How is the Lord leading you to this life of humility, forgiveness, uh, entrustment, 
and childlikeness. Just go with what speaks to you. St. Ignatius says, go where you find fruit. Once you find fruit, just drill there. One thing from one of these readings speaks to you. Um, Meditate on that. Go deeper in this. What's your take-home? You should all have a take-home from this day of retreat, reflection. And what are you going to start implementing? What are you going to start practicing living out? That is the question. So... We're off into prayer now, and at 3 o'clock, we'll be back here for the evaluation and the sharing of the, of the graces of the day. Beautiful. I'll see you in the chapel. <laughs>